a Pearson Harnish, but a huge third down conversion. You got the game on? Yep. On the move down to the 24-yard line of St. Francis. Who's winning? He, he won't say the score. Laid up and waited for the pass. Short drop Come out on, of the gun. who's winning? Rifles towards the right corner, complete to Vander Cooey, who steps across the plane. Ah, say the damn score. You're listening to the original Say the Damn Score podcast, part of the Say the Damn Score podcast network. Here's your host, Logan Anderson. Welcome to episode 102 of the Say the Damn Score podcast. As you just heard the big voice guy say, I'm Logan Anderson, a freelance sportscaster in the Twin Cities metro area. As always, this podcast is dedicated to sportscasting and sharing stories and ways to improve in the business. Usually, this podcast is recorded and distributed worldwide from the Say the Damn Score studios, which double as my spare bedroom. For this episode, I dug out the Say the Damn Score mobile studio and went to the local Caribou Coffee in Bloomington, Minnesota to chat with this week's guest in person. If you like the show, retweets and shares are greatly appreciated. It's the number one way that this show grows and finds new audience members. So without further ado, I'm happy to introduce Corbu Status, the women's basketball voice and pre- and post-game host for the University of Minnesota Golden Gophers. Corbu, how's it going? Great, Logan. Thanks for having me on. And the first thing I wanted to ask you was how many ways have people mispronounced Corbu Status? Uh, it, it's not spelled in any kind of an obvious way. Uh Give me the the most common and the strangest mispronunciations. Well, it's it's status looks like stathis, so I get that a lot. Staths, um, I get Corbin a lot and Corby a lot because people aren't used to seeing Corbu. That would be Corbu. I'm obviously not used to saying it, um, and so they just shorten it to Corbin or Corby or whatever. I mean, I got a piece of mail once for Crabbin statues. Uh, so that was pretty impressive. That's probably the worst. But, I mean, nobody – it's funny. When I meet people and I tell them my name or they see my name, you can tell that it, they don't want to butcher it. So it's often followed by a long pause. Even growing up in, like, high school, if we had a sub-teacher, it would be Jessica Smith here. Um uh, just say Corbu status here, <laughs> just to get it over with. Do you remember what was in that piece of mail that had butchered your name so badly? Was it important? Uh, no. Well, if it was, I never opened it because <laughs> it wasn't wasn't from somebody I knew. So they must have been wanting something from me. So one of the icebreakers I use frequently in this podcast, and I think it's usually just a good place to start. I like I like it as a jump off point. What point in your life did you know you wanted to get into sports casting? Were you the kid who was five years old talking into a recorder, or did you come about it late? Yes, to both. Um, there is a my dad has a VHS video of me uh, after we played a game of Stratomatic, the board game um, that might age me a little bit, where I was giving a summary into a pencil about the game. Um, and then during high school games, when I was playing baseball, if I wasn't playing, which was probably more frequently than I would have liked, uh, sometimes I would do play-by-play for the game, much to my coach's chagrin. Uh, but originally, I was going to be a comic book artist, so I went to school for that, uh, went to college for that, and then came back around to media and said, you know, I'm not... I still want to do art, but I don't like the art program, so I'm going to go into media. And then I joined the college station, and then it was for sure. Then I knew that's what I wanted to do. 
what kind of comic books did you want to make when you were still pursuing that that route? Yeah, so I grew up in the uh, 90s when uh, X-Men and Spider-Man and then uh, when Image came along. And uh, for those of you who don't follow comics, I'm sorry, but those of you who do <laughs> know exactly what I'm talking about. Jim Lee, Todd McFarlane, that whole era of comic book artists. Uh, so I was, you know, the superhero kind of guy. So now that they have all the Marvel movies and the DC movies, I'm in heaven. This is great. <laughs> Are you one of the people who picks apart the storylines when you see a Marvel movie? No. I, I, I'm not uh, so hardcore into it. Uh, I always liked the comics for the art more than the story. So I would follow an artist around if they moved to a different story. The storylines for me don't are, are fine. They're okay, but it's the art that really draws me in. So uh, I know just enough to know what's going on in the Marvel movies without needing a ton of backstory, but not enough to where I'm like, well, now Thor can't do that because I, <laughs> I don't know as far as he can, as far as I know he can. Do you still dabble in that a little bit as a hobby, just drawing and yeah. as a in your free time? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I definitely enjoy it. It's something I've always liked to do, drawing. Uh, whether I still like to do uh, realistic drawings of sports figures in my spare time. Um, I think they're realistic. They might not be. I don't know. Uh, and doodle. I doodle all the time. It's um, it, it's kind of like my own little fidget spinner, if you will. It's a piece <laughs> of paper. If I'm in a meeting and I don't have a piece of paper, there's no way I'm getting through that meeting because i got a doodle and I have to uh, find some way to keep my hands busy. I do the same thing. I just am a horrible drawer, so it just ends up being lots of just weird, of just, those, lots of those uh, those three D cubes. Yes, and the S. Remember the S yes. where you do the two lines and then the two lines on the outside and you connect them. Yeah, lots of those. Do you consider play by play art? Yes, one hundred percent. Explain why. I think the artistry comes from the use of the voice, and for me. That is where I think I struggle the most. I, I'm a pretty mellow guy, even keel guy, and I always have struggled with finding the inflection. And, and I think the subtlety that, uh, you know, you have guys like Paul Allen who you know when he's excited because there's a big range of emotion from a guy like Paul Allen who, of course, does the Vikings games. But um, John Chelesnick had this sto story about Vince Scully just recently and using your voice. Um, and Vince Scully, if you ask people, they'd be like, yeah, he's a pretty low-key guy, but he's not monotone. So you can be low-key and still change up your tone of voice and still paint the picture with your tone as much as your words. And I think for me, that's always been the biggest challenge. And the ones who do it best are, to me, the real artists. That's interesting because I would have guessed that the artistic part would be using the right combination, the unique combinations of different words as opposed to the tonality and the actual voice work, almost like singing in a way. But yeah. it's interesting how there's multiple parts to that. Yeah, I think that's a really good point, and I think that for me it is definitely part of it. I mean, I think the best broadcasters have a love of words and a love of the English language and a way to put things together. And, and everybody has their own ear for that, I think, in, in terms of what they think sounds good. Uh, there are some catchphrases or some things that people use that I just don't like, uh, but that's just me. There's things that I use that I'm sure other people don't like. I don't. I don't know what's wrong with those people, but um, <laughs> I, so I think the the combination of the two. And, and for me, 
I don't want to say that words haven't been a struggle for me, but I've always been good at writing and using like using words in, that are good and big uh, in a way that, for me, works. So I think, for me, that hasn't been as big of a challenge as the um, using the tonality, if you will. So We had a conversation a couple months back, and that will piggyback on this a little bit, where you talked about how you have... Uh, some particularly unique ways of describing things because you never really played basketball and how you had to just kind of make up, for lack of a better word, sure. ways to describe things and ended up in some unique stuff. Uh, how did you just kind of go through how that worked for you, how you came about your vocabulary for broadcasting? Well, for me, I, I think the advantage I had, if this makes sense for basketball, is that I didn't play, so I had to describe it the best I knew how and that brought me back to a pretty common listener. So you can get pretty inside basketball, inside baseball, if you will, pretty quick. Well, not everybody knows what a ball reversal is or um, what a skip pass is. I, re- I remember the first time I heard somebody describe a skip pass, I thought it was a great way to describe a bounce pass. Well, no, I, as I came to find out later, you're literally throwing it over uh, to the other side of the court. So I, I think for me it helped, and maybe this is just my rationalization, but I think it helped my broadcast be more accessible to just the moms and pops who were just tuning in and wanted to hear what their favorite team was doing or their favorite player or their daughter or whatever was doing so that anybody can listen. The mom in the car can listen and won't be turned off because she's she doesn't know what a skip pass is. The uh, younger brother can listen and he can be excited because he can follow what's going on versus like, I don't, well, what does this mean? What does that mean? And I still, I have a seven and a half year old son and there's common baseball terms where I say something like, well, you got to stay on the bag. And he goes, it's a base daddy. <laughs> right, right. Okay. Yes, it is a base, but there's all these little, uh, little ticks and little things that we use in, in the description of, games and sports that we forget are not the literal terms are the nicknames for them so i think if you can bring that if you can dumb it down not and maybe that's the wrong use of the word but if you can make it simple enough to where anybody can tune in at any time i think that's an advantage do you ever worry about alienating a hardcore listener do you figure they're just they're already there they're going to be there regardless and you want to make sure that that larger swath of people are served i think i think the larger swath is a big deal but i also think if you have a color analyst who is good then they will hit those hardcore listeners because they can break down the game they can provide that information they can give you those nuggets to where if you're listening you can say okay well I, I wish he would say this and this and this, but okay, she described exactly what it is that's going on on the floor, so they get satiated that way. I, I mean, I think there. Even now, I, I've followed sports my whole life. I'm pretty knowledgeable, I would say, about sports. But there are still some terms like a bubble screen. Yeah, I kind of know what a bubble screen is, <laughs> right? And that's kind of where we all are. We all kind of know what a bubble screen is, but we don't. I mean. Can anybody break down what a bubble screen is? No, it's a great way to – it's a great shorthand for sure as a play-by-play guy, and especially on radio, as you know. You have to sometimes just get out words quick. You can't really say, oh, he's throwing it back to the receiver who's behind the other two receivers and coming in for a t- – like, what? No, it's a tunnel screen. So I, I think that makes it easier sometimes, but I think the hardcore fans will 
tune in regardless because they're hardcore fans. I had a conversation with a broadcaster friend of mine who also does D1 women's basketball, and but he grew up wrestling, and I would always call the center spot on the free throw line the nail, which, sure. I mean, there is a small nail there, but not very many people know about it. He said, what the heck are you talking about, the nail? <laughs> and that's when I kind of started thinking about uh, just what you said. So right. um, good way to start this off. We are in the off season right now as far as uh, what you usually do with women's basketball and go for football. What do you do in the off season? What are your responsibilities as a broadcaster and outside of broadcasting? Well, outside of broadcasting, my favorite responsibility is raising my son. Uh, and I'm not just saying that to try and get him to listen to the podcast. Um, <laughs> I, but I do have a full-time job to support my radio habit, as they, we all like to say, um, where I do voiceover stuff and middle management. So my running joke is that my job is to make sure that everybody else is happy except for me, whether the people that are beneath me or above me. Um, so I do a lot of voiceover work, a lot of... Um, spreadsheets uh for and we do online car videos mostly so it's fun for me it's a great chance for me to work on using my voice as an instrument to to circle back in you know how many times can you say that this car is on sale for 4.99 a month come in now you have to change how you say it depending on if it's a land rover or if it's a maserati or if it's a corolla or if it's a volkswagen so it's a great great opportunity for me to try and um, increase my ability, my uh, vocal range, if you will. I've tried dabbling in voiceover work a little bit, and it's a lot harder than you think it is. Yes. You can't just uh, show up and and read and read. You have to put <laughs> right. a little bit of thought into it. What was the biggest lesson you learned as far as developing into a good voiceover talent? I think it was just that I'm a pretty good cold reader. Uh, and that comes from uh, reading ad copy and, and play-by-play broadcasts. But my boss also really worked with me a lot. And I remember one of the first things she said to me was, you sound like you're announcing cars. <laughs> and I said, well, because I am. I'm an announcer. She goes, well, that's great, but you're not an announcer here. So it was finding the – it was reading the words – and finding out, figuring out what the sentence is trying to say. Because right now, you and I could sit down and we all have that, um, that live read tone, right? Make sure you come in today because we have a great deal going on at Schuler Shoes. All you have to do is come in and apply for 33% off at the Schuler Shoes credit card, right? You could apply that exact same tone, put any words you want in there, and it would sound exactly the same. But it would sound, you know, make sure you come in today to Walgreens for where you have two for ones on Twix candy bars. Is it left or right? You decide at Walgreens, right? It's the exact same tone inside and out. We don't, people are used to that because it's a broadcast. So you don't have to emote anything. You don't have to give anybody any feelings. So I, I think learning to read the sentence for what they're trying to say, uh, putting the emphasis on the right syllable, uh, I think that was the biggest lesson for me how did you what what did you learn how did you figure out what the right syllable was is it just trial and error or is there a system for me it was saying it going back and listening to it and saying oh yeah i totally missed that that's (laughs) not what they wanted to say because sometimes in your head you're reading it and that is what they want to say and then you go back and hear it and you're like oh no that's not or it's you thought you hit it but you didn't so 
there's a sometimes it would be as simple as just going back and listening. Other times I would dive into the script and really read each sentence and figure out, put little marks all over it on how I wanted to go up or down, uh, where I wanted to pause. But then you'd get through that first sentence sometimes and you'd realize, oh, no, this whole paragraph, it's part of a whole paragraph. So I have to read that sentence differently to fit in with the rest of the paragraph. So I think it's very much a, a minute but big picture kind of thing. Well, we've now gone 15 minutes talking about uh, comic books and voiceover, <laughs> yeah. so we, we should probably get to the Good subject start. matter. I think that it's uh, it's definitely relevant. There's a lot of people I think they can use that information in this business to improve, but um, you started at Colorado State. You yeah. went to Colorado State, and if I remember correctly, immediately after school, you were able to pick up the women's basketball position. How did that happen? Yeah, it was pretty close. And so uh, my senior year, well, okay, so the Cliff Notes version is I did an internship at KOA the summer before my senior year. Um, the voice of the Colorado State Rams was uh, working at KOA in Denver, so I knew him. But I had a friend that I worked with at the uh, campus radio station who had gotten a job at the, uh, the um, flagship station for the Rams as a morning talk show host, and he knew that they needed an engineer. So he threw my name out there. The play-by-play voice of the Rams, Wyatt Thompson, who's now with Kansas State, said, oh, yeah, I know Corbu. And so they said, do you want to do this? And I said, yeah, I want to do this. So here I am my senior year traveling with the football team, and I think I'm the king of the world, man. Like, this is so cool. I remember walking up to one of my professors telling her that I was going to miss a class because I had to travel with the football team and thinking she was going to think it was a big deal. And then she goes, okay, no big deal. Like, oh, yeah, that's right. The people have done this forever. So I just toted the equipment around, made sure that nobody else touched the equipment, and I learned how to plug it all in and break it all down. Well, then they needed a color analyst for CSU women's basketball because the analyst who did it last year was now, uh, she was married to the head coach, and at the time you couldn't have uh, your significant other, wife or husband, on your same staff. Well, the NCAA changed that legislation, and so Nikki Collin went from color analyst to assistant coach for Colorado State, and that opened up a position. They liked my work with um, what I did with football in terms of engineering, and I had done maybe one or two on-air things. So they said, do you want to do that? And I said, well, I don't know much about basketball, but I'll work really hard for you. And just a note, don't tell anybody you don't know much about a sport when they ask you if you want to do the job. <laughs> um, and so I did that my senior year. And again, I thought I was pretty cool. Like, I'm in the industry. I want to be in my senior year. And then I graduated and I needed a job. And luckily enough for me, they wanted to start doing an afternoon sports talk show on the flagship station, KIIX, 1410 AM. And so they that opened up a morning sports position, and so I did that for $15,000 a year. So how did you learn the X's and O's? Did you watch tape? Did you talk to coaches? Obviously, at some point, you, you yeah. acquired that information because you're doing Big Ten basketball. Uh, how did you figure that out? A lot of listening, a lot of asking, and a lot of being humble and going up to the coaches and saying, Coach, um, can I watch some film with you? Can I pick your brain on this? Why does this work? What happens here? Um, I watched a lot, and I, I mostly tried to stay in what I knew. So if, you know, boy, and now I'm about to go back to some of the names of the players who even played back then. So if uh, Joy Jenkins got open on a screen up front, 
I knew that enough from having gone. I mean, I went to a basketball high school, uh, that watching the Denver Nuggets growing up. There, there was enough of it around, but I couldn't tell you why they ran a play. I couldn't tell you if what, what how the zone was working, but I could tell you the things that I could tell you. So if it was coming off of a screen, if it was, uh, you know, a player had made their last three shots. So I tried to stay in my comfort zone and then learn as much as I could. And then when you see 30 games a year, that up close and personal, and then that grows to 60, to 90, to 120, to now however many years it is, I mean, 6,000 basketball games, you, you start to pick it up, I hope. So what brought you to Minnesota? Gophers. The Gophers did. I should say, tell us the story <laughs> of how you got to Minnesota. Okay, so. Come on, Popovich. <laughs> How long? Well, you said you needed to needed to keep this short, right? No. No. Uh, <laughs> um, so it was actually pretty fortuitous in that I um, I kind of was at the end of my rope at kicks. Uh, we're Clear Channel, Northern Colorado. Um, I had a, been there for six seasons. I had applied for hundreds of jobs, and I hadn't even been a finalist for any of them. Um, I was working with two pretty poisonous people in the morning, uh, just it was not good. Um, and so I was really contemplating getting out of radio. In fact, I was done being on air at Clear Channel Northern Colorado. I had moved into sales and was really trying to explore my other options. And the Montana State job came open because Chris Atterbury, who you know here locally, um, took the job as the uh, Twins uh, pre and post host, studio host. So I became a finalist for Montana State. Uh, didn't hear anything from them for about mm, two weeks, so I just called them up and said, "Listen, um, I'm going to be in town for the uh, for the spring game. So if you guys are available, I'd love to chat with you." Well, that was an 11 hour drive, but I was going to force their hand a little bit, so I drove up there, forced their hand a little bit, talked to their AD, talked to their uh, local manager, and it went pretty well. Uh, they ultimately hired somebody else, and Tom Bowman from Learfield called me up, and I remember driving home. Getting that call from him, like, okay, here we go, here we go. And he said, listen, you didn't get the Montana State job. I really wanted you to get it, but you didn't get it. But there are some other jobs that I want you to apply for. And so he mentioned a couple of them, and one of them was the Minnesota job. Well, it turned out that I had already made contact with Minnesota because a woman I worked with at Colorado State had worked at Minnesota, knew Greg Gerlock, who's our boss at uh, Gopher Sports Properties, she said, you should reach out to him. They just hired a guy and find out what the guy they hired, what he did that really stood out. Well, that guy, of course, turned out to be Mike Grimm. Um, so Greg Gerlock knew my name a little bit. I think Tom also pushed me a little bit to put me in front of Greg. And so then one thing led to another, and here I am. They they liked me enough to hire me. And how many years has it been now? Twelve. And I ask that not to, and I don't mean this with any disrespect, but usually <laughs> when you show up uh, as to take a women's basketball job, you want to move on to sure. a men's job and a football job as soon as you can. And that hasn't been something that has played out for you for a lot of different reasons. Do you get frustrated with that, or are you kind of at peace with uh, at where things are? Yes, to both. Um, so when Greg offered me the job, Back in 2007, he said, I don't want to hire somebody who's only going to be here for a year. And I said, 
that's great. I, I mean, this is my first real big break in terms of full-time play-by-play because at Colorado State, I was just doing color for women's basketball, occasionally filling in for men's basketball, and I was doing a ton of high school games. Uh, so I was like, yep, I get it. Well, that first, of course, I, I say that, and after that first year, I think Fresno State opened up, Nevada opened up, and New Mexico opened up. And Learfield wanted me to apply for those jobs. And, I mean, Nevada would have been great because they were in the Mountain West, and I had family in Nevada, and uh, Colorado State was in the Mountain West. Uh, Fresno State was still in the WAC, I think. But then, so New Mexico also in the Mountain West. So, but I had promised Greg that I wasn't going to leave after a year. So I told told Tom Bowman that I I couldn't do it. I promised, I made promises, so I'm going to stay here. And you make those promises after one year thinking, you know what, in, in three years, four years, there'll be three more job openings, right? I can go after that. But for me, keeping my word was really important. And so that happened. And then um, and then I got divorced. And I understood what that meant, that you know, getting divorced with a child means I'm not going to leave my son. Like, my son's my favorite thing in the world. And I can't take him away from his mom either. Uh, she's a great mom and we just, we didn't work well together. We work well as parents. So that was another factor in that I can't just up and go after any job I want. And so lucky for me, I mean, it's the big 10 and I got involved with football as well. And it's a pretty satisfying living. I mean, being part of the big 10, you know, it's kind of the, would you rather be a starter in AAA or a pinch hitter in the bigs, you know? I think it depends on the person. And so I, I think I've made my decisions and I, I wish sometimes that um, things had turned out differently, but they haven't. I mean, the, the Tulane job is open football and men's basketball and baseball. And that's a really appealing job, but it's a job I can't go after because I've made my decision in terms of um, my personal life and, and what I want from that. And, I mean, I really like it in the Big Ten, too, so that doesn't hurt either. If you could get back in Doc Brown's DeLorean and go back <laughs> in time, would you do anything different? No. I mean, uh, no. I mean, I, I've thought about it a lot. I don't. To me, keeping my word was really important, and, and I think it has paid off. You would have to ask Greg Gerlach this, uh, but to me, I, I think he has fought for me when he didn't have to because I kept my word, and that's just guessing on my point i don't know that for a fact um and you know obviously the personal stuff those things happen um and and, uh, no i i can't say it would be interesting it it would be interesting in uh in the um oh god what's the uh what's the christmas movie with George, uh, uh, the something life where he—it's he, a wonderful life. It's a wonderful life. Yes, thank you. If I could do it, kind of that, just to see what would happen. But like I said, I, I've made my decisions, and while I, I would like to maybe someday have that opportunity to do football and men's basketball, I've made my bed. Just a random, completely unrelated fact: the uh, town where I. <laughs> Got my first radio job in was Denison, Iowa. And okay. It was their like famous thing that they have on all their water towers and all their street signs. It said, "It's a wonderful life" because Donna Reed was born there, who was his girlfriend, <laughs> yeah. and that was the least happy I've ever been in a town. <laughs> and it just made me mad every day yeah, when I it's drove by. Not these a signs. wonderful life. <laughs> no, I'm like, this sucks. <laughs> um, 
I digress. <laughs> Going through a coaching change is sometimes difficult. Yeah. And, you know, building those relationships and having to basically have it, you don't have to end those relationships, but having to cut ties and completely rebuild from square one yeah. uh, can be easy or hard, depending on the personality. You just had to go through that that this last year uh, with Lindsey Whalen, the first-year coach for the Gophers. How yep. did that go for you? What were the, the challenges? What were the 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 less challenging aspects? Yeah. It, it is a weird thing because, um, especially when you've been with a program for a long time, so you have an idea. You have. I've been with the Gophers for what we said, twelve years. Lindsey Whalen came in, so I had been with the program for eleven years at that point, and we had been through one coaching change already. But I have a familiarity with the program. I have a comfort zone with the program, and I have some ownership over the program, as anybody would who's done something. Hopefully, even for just one year. I mean, hopefully, you own the job in that matter of speaking, but. It's a weird thing because then it's their program. So now I have all of these familiar things and all these routines that I have, but they might not work with a new coach. And so I have to kind of fit myself in to what the new coach wants because we all are, are if the head coach really does not like us, our programs don't have to keep us as play-by-play people. I mean, there's if you've built up enough respect with the the radio community or the broadcasting community, the people who tune you in, then hopefully yes, uh, you can fight through that. But essentially, if the head coach doesn't like you, and they are going to push to move you out, especially in a sport that is not as high profile as like a football, I think it's pretty easy for them to move on. So for me, it's uh, complete. If I have to rework everything I do to make that head coach happy in terms of uh, how we do a, a pregame interview, a postgame interview, that's fine. But one thing I don't compromise, though, is what I do once the ball's in the air. Our broadcast between the start of the game and the end of the game, I'm going to broadcast the way that I feel like is the most fair to the fans, most fair to the program. But you're also going to know that, you know, I want the Gophers to win. I want to see Lindsey Whalen win. I want to see all these players that I've been around uh, since their freshman year. I want to see them go out and win. So that part I have had some battles with some coaches on. uh, But for me, that's the one part I won't compromise. Did you cover Lindsey Whalen as a player? No, I just missed her, unfortunately. Um, Well, I shouldn't say just missed her. She graduated in 04? God, Gopher fans are going to kill me for not knowing that off the top of my head. Uh, so I came in in 07. So I missed, yeah, I missed her. But, I mean, just because I didn't see her play, I mean, the, practically when I landed, the first thing I heard about was her and Janelle McCarvel. I mean, they're they're legends for sure. It, what they did for that program, Logan, is amazing. I mean, they took – Minnesota was a bad basketball program. They really were. And – she came in, and her and Janelle McCarvel, and of course uh, you have Brenda Freeze, who was uh, now the head coach at Maryland, came in, and she got things going. Then Pam Borden kept it going. I mean, they invigorated that program, and you could argue the only reason why that program had legs, has legs, 19 years later, is because Lindsay invigorated it to such a fashion to where they could start bringing in the players and made Minnesota basketball a big deal, and. and so there was a generation of girls who grew up watching Lindsay Whalen, loving Lindsay Whalen, idolizing her, 
who then came through and wanted to play at Minnesota and kept the program uh, right near the upper half of the Big Ten when it could have easily sunk back down. I mean, Becky Hammond was kind of the same thing for Colorado State, and they were really good for a while, and now they've kind of sunk back down. And then they've come back up recently, but... They haven't sustained it like Minnesota has. Did you cover Becky Hammond at Colorado State? I just missed her as well. <laughs> just missed her. So Your timing's not great. <laughs> no, it's not great in terms of seeing these all-time greats. But, again, she she I did get a chance to cover a little bit when she was playing for uh, the NWBL, which was a uh, fall league or winter league for women's basketball. Small. Uh, she played for the Colorado Chill. Um, and it was like a four-team league to, to try and keep players here rather than having to go overseas. Do you cover women's basketball any differently than you would a men's game in no. the fact that is there any language yes. describing describing a body that would be different in a men's or a women's game that you avoid? Um, yes. Yes. Whether that's fair or not. Um, right now, The thing about it is we live in a very unique time in that um, it doesn't take much to get people mad. And we are straddling a couple of different generations who have seen a lot. Uh, my color analyst, Lynette Showquist, who I love. She's great. She's so much fun to broadcast a game with. Um, she grew up in an era without Title IX, so she never got to play college sports. Uh, and she grew up in an era where you had to fight tooth and nail just to get on the court, just to get a little bit of playing time. When I grew up, girls played sports all through high school. I went to my sister's softball games from T-ball all the way through high school. Um, my friends played basketball. We went to their games. It was just what we did. And it wasn't that big of a deal. It wasn't, it was, we were like, oh, no, we're not going to go support that because it's uh, girls' basketball. No, it was just my friend plays for the team. We're going to go do that. And now I think it's even moved further to where you're seeing more and more equality and where um, especially the younger male athletes are looking at the female athletes as peers rather than, oh, that's nice that you also play basketball. So you have these three different generations of people all listening to a broadcast that's three different sensibilities. So it can be pretty tough to, to, to straddle that line. But to go back to your first over, overall question, keep it simple, yes. Body type, um, you know, for a, a guy, you can d- describe him as um, he got that big button there and moved some people around. I mean, we dance around a player's size on the women's side it, 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 in a lot of different ways. She's got some size inside, you know. I don't know, it, it, and whether that's right or not, I I don't know, but I kind of take my lead from Lynette on that side, and I, I grew up with two sisters, so I've always grown up pretty, uh, I would think, attuned to what um, what will get a woman angry. And obviously, since I've been divorced, I'm not that attuned to it, <laughs> but attuned enough. Well said. I, I mostly agree with that. I've always had a little bit of... Never really been sure the right way to handle that because there's cover a lot of girls' sports as well. But it's, yeah. I, I was curious if it changed the higher the level you got. Well, you know, they don't more on law, more on the line. They don't put weight for women in basketball, they do for men. So, you know, you'll hear a 6'2, 215 pound junior. Women's basketball, it's a 6'2 junior. You don't have any idea what the weights of the women are. I don't know why. I mean, somewhere along the lines, they decided that that was not a good idea. 
And you could go into all, you could delve deep into that, man, and probably deeper than we ever want to go. I mean, it's, to me, though, if it shouldn't be that big of a deal. You put the weight on there and, and listen, I think people should know by now that uh, muscle weighs a lot. So if a woman is, you know, five, four, and I don't know, I don't know what's heavy, 165, I don't know, um, but she's built like a, a brick house, then that's what 165 looks like. And, and so I don't know if weight should not be not if should weight should not be listed. But there's so many little things like that that are ingrained to, into how things work that you know you you almost don't even notice them. Should we you, talk about comic books some more? <laughs> Lighten it up. <laughs> no, I was actually going to jump in that you've been fortunate to work with. Uh, some really good broadcasters with Wyatt Thompson, who yeah. I was able to spend some time with in North Carolina, just won the Kansas State Broadcaster of the Year for who knows how many times. And Mike Grimm, with, who does the football and men's basketball yeah. with the Gophers. What have you learned from those two, and what other mentors have you had along the way? So Wyatt was, um, I think Wyatt does a great job. And if you put in a tape of Wyatt Thompson and then put in a tape of me, I think you would hear a lot of similarities. Wyatt was one of the first people I worked up close with. I mean, I was sitting right next to Wyatt Thompson, spotting for him when I was a senior, trying to soak it up as much as possible. Like, you know, that feeling, that moment where in any profession where all of a sudden you're doing it. I think those, it's, you're almost more impressionable then. So I took a lot from him. I love the way he describes a game. I think he's pretty uh, descriptive. Um, he has good excitement and I just liked the way he called a game. Um, then when he moved to Kansas state, the guy who took over for him, Rich Berkhamshaw, who's, uh, no longer with us, passed away, uh, 10 years ago. Um, Rich, sorry. Um, yeah, God, uh, it still gets me. Uh, Rich was a friend, really good friend. He believed in me. He was the one who fought for me to to get the CSU women's color job. He's the one who fought for me to do the morning sports. And, uh, sorry, um, he was a good friend. And he would say stuff in the middle of a broadcast that everybody would be scratching their head. One of his calls was um rams threw it for a touchdown and it was uh, i i don't remember exactly who the quarterback was probably bradley van pelt bradley van pelt to matt bartz touchdown rams how's that for ventilating your waffles (laughs) well who knows what that means and rich doesn't know what that means i i think the guy uh who did the sidelines and who, who is now the voice of the rams brian roth i think was poking holes in his waffle at breakfast, and Rich asked him what he was doing, and he said he was ventilating his waffles for the syrup, and Rich said, oh, I'm going to use that in a call. I mean, Rich was just that kind of character where he would say things that were so outlandish that that became part of why you listened. And while that's not who I am, there's something to be said for that, for being true to who you are, even if it doesn't make sense, if it is you, then it starts to make sense. And then if people expect it, then all of a sudden, okay, what is Rich going to say this week? 
people will tune in even if the Rams are getting blown out just to hear what Rich will say. And there were some doozies, man. And there were some times where you'd think, oh, you know what, Rich, that one might not have worked. But then there was others to this day when I go back to Fort Collins, people will bring up some of his calls. Um, and for and to get to Mike Grimm, uh, I'm not going to cry over Mike Grimm. <laughs> Don't die, Mike. Um, he does excitement better than a lot of people I've heard. He gets excited, and you can hear it immediately in his voice. And I think, um, I, I think he does it really, really well. And so that's been the thing that I've tried to incorporate more, and being a little less, you know, between the between the lines and to have a little bit more of the ups and downs, especially a little bit more of the excitement. Um, and for me, it's tough because I'm not necessarily an overly excitable person. So trying to do that while sounding genuine, just like a Mike Grimm does. I mean, PA does it well too. And people tell me as a fan of the Vikings, they feel just like PA feels. See, he he is the voice of the fan when he does the, those broadcasts. So I think you can learn something from anybody you listen to because they all have their jobs for a reason. Nobody is there be, on accident. So there has to be something that they're good at, even if you don't like them, that I think you can pick and choose and, and meld it into your own broadcast. What do you do to get better? Oh, man. Um well, at the beginning, I listened to a lot of tapes of my own, and it's awful. I hate it. <laughs> I I listen to it uh, every now and then. I'm like, okay, that was pretty good. But when I really listen, all I hear are the mistakes. <laughs> and I'm sure most broadcasters can agree with that. All you hear is how you missed it or how you would have liked to have done it better. But listening to a lot of games, writing down ways I could have said it differently, and then I think the challenge for me now is you reach a point, I think, where you, okay, you, you've reached where you're going to get based on your natural talent, so to speak. Now, how do you get from that to even better to elite? And those, I think, are the harder improvements to make because they're usually more subtle. We all know if we missed a third and six call and didn't say the right player's name or just were a little bit surprised by the play call, so we stumbled, right? But what if you did say everything right, but it still didn't sound right? What's the difference between that and having it sound right? Is it inflection? Is it excitement? Is it cutting out a few words? And that's where I think the toughest step is. I think that where you go from being a good broadcaster to a great broadcaster to, oh, this guy is one of the best broadcasters we have in this market. I think... When you can, if I could figure out a way to make those subtle lessons and changes, that's I will take any tips. But <laughs> overall, I think it's just listening to yourself and listening to others. And then I know you've done this. We talked about it. Just calling a game off a of TV, especially nowadays where you can just DVR any game, have a game on and just try and call it completely different from how you normally would. And it's amazing what comes out of your mouth when you're trying to think of something different than what you normally say. How do you take things from others without stealing? For, yeah, without rip, sounding <laughs> ripped off. Um, I think 
I think if it's not in, if it's not part of who you are, then it sounds ripped off. I'm not going to call a game like PA, uh, Paul <laughs> Allen. I'm just not that guy. Um, but I could say take something he says and make it my own, uh, the remix version, if you will. Um, there's certain phrases that people are going to say that, I mean, there's only so many phrases. Um, home run calls are tough because it feels like all of the home run calls are taken. Um, I know uh, Matt Cotney, who does the uh, voice, who's the voice of the Nebraska Cornhusker women's basketball team, great guy. His call on a three pointer is "you betcha," and it's every three pointer, and it's one hundred percent who Matt Cotney is. That's not who I am, and "you betcha" is kind of a Minnesota thing, right? Yeah, "you betcha," but I liked it, so I went with "you bet." That's more true to me. I think it's a good uh, good call in terms of, and I don't use it all the time. I use it when somebody's really warmed up and like, yeah, of course they're going to hit that. So I think you can lift and then just make it into your own. And the only way to do that for me was to play with it, to use it. Oh, no, that didn't feel right. Let me try it this way a, a different time. We've talked a lot about some of the broadcasters that you like listening to. Who are some of that you haven't mentioned uh, either nationally or other broadcasters in the area that maybe are under the radar that you like to listen to when you have some downtime? Yeah, I, I'd say the Twin Cities are really lucky. There is a lot of good broadcasters here in this area. Um, so I, I will just I will say that I like all of the broadcasters in the Twin Cities. And nationally, I think Dave Pash does a really nice job. Um, I'm trying to think of some, like, Obviously, most of the national ones I like. I don't understand why people don't like um, Joe. Joe Joe Buck. I was thinking Joe Block, who is a different Joe, but also <laughs> equally as good. Uh, Joe Buck. I, I think he's great, but people don't like him. I, I can't figure out why. There's a handful of people that I don't necessarily like, but again, they're there for a reason. But for me, overall, the, uh, Dave O'Brien, I think, does a really great job. I'm trying to think. I'm really awful at broadcaster names, music band <laughs> names. Um, yeah, I, I mean, most of them, I think, on a national level are really good. Even if it's not necessarily the tone that I would like or not the way I would call a game, but they all have something. They all have a gravitas, if you will, that when they are broadcasting a game, they might not be an expert, but they sure sound like they are without sounding like they're trying to sound like an expert, if that makes any sense. It does. What are some of your broadcast horror stories? I ask this to everybody, <laughs> where the time where something goes horribly yeah. wrong with the equipment or location or literally anything that you laugh at now that was mortifying at that moment. <sighs> I don't know if I can tell this story. Let me. Well, uh, so there's, I mean, there's the times where you show up, and you realize, oh, I don't have the cords I need. There was one high school game I showed up to do last year. First game of the year, you know, I'm out of it. And um, I show up, and I don't have an Internet cord, which we need the Internet to get on to do an <laughs> online broadcast, or an extension cord. The two most important things you need to get on air, or so to speak, online, and I don't have them. And thankfully, a janitor uh, was able to... Get those things for me. Um, there was one time, and I won't tell the full story because it's really, 
It's really up bats. <laughs> There's the names have been changed. The to names protect, have been changed. Protect the yes. guilty. So uh, we're doing a pregame show, and um, and I'm queuing up an interview, and I turn down the return feed, and uh, we're sitting there. I turn down the return feed so I can hear and get the interview queued up. So I get the interview queued up. And we're just kind of sitting there, and this woman walks by behind us, and I'm like, oh, hi, Megan, and blah, blah, blah. And then we're sitting there, and then some cuss words might have been dropped. And then we're sitting there, and then we're like, God, how long is this commercial break? And I realized I forgot to turn the return feed back up. So I turned the return feed back up, and our board op, Tyler Krause, God bless this guy. I love Tyler Krause is saying, guys, guys, you're on the air. You are on the air. You're back. You're back. So, of course, the color drains out of all our faces. I hit play on the interview. And, of course, it's like a five-minute interview. So we have to sit there for five minutes not knowing if the cuss words made it out over the air. And it wasn't just like, darn. It was bad. Like, if it would have made it on the air, that would have been the end of a couple of careers. (laughs) And... Uh, we come back, the, the interview ends and we're like, please, Tyler, tell me that did not go out on air. And he said, no, I potted you up and I heard Corbu say, hi, Megan. And I knew you didn't know you were on air. So I potted you back down. That is the best board up of all time. <laughs> and if you are a board op, if you're listening to this and you're ever board opping, you too might save a broadcaster's career someday just by paying attention. It was, uh, yeah, it would, if... I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for Tyler Cross. And so that also, let that also be a lesson to you. Remember, every mic is a hot mic. I mean, when I hear what uh, Gary Dolphin has gone through at Iowa, I guarantee you every broadcaster was thinking, I said way worse. (laughs) It's it's definitely true. Uh, I thought that when you said that. Yeah. I mean, I've talked to Gary, and you know, I'm going to guess you've come across him once or twice, and you know that. That guy has not a malicious bone in his body. No. But anyway, that's a different conversation. But that does go back to getting along with your coaches. And, and I don't know if it's that he just doesn't get along with Fran Fischilla or what. But, I mean, that is part of it, too, is you do have to get along with all of the people who are around the program. Because most most people in management roles just don't want to have to have problems. So don't be a problem. And, and obviously... I'm, I'm not saying that Gary Dolphin is a problem, but I think working with coaches can be very difficult sometimes, especially if you don't see eye to eye. In the opportunities that you've had to fill in, uh, I don't think you've done a football game, if I remember, no. but you've done some men's basketball games. Mm-hmm. What goes through your head when you're at least there for the, that short moment where you're where you want to be? Yeah, that first time I, boy, I filled in for Mike, it was in the Tubby Smith era. And it was still when Tubby Smith's name still had a lot of sheen on it. So it was a lot, it was a big deal. And it was still, it was one of those moments for me where I was like, wow, this is really cool, man. This is Tubby Smith. And I just interviewed him and like, here I am. And this is really, really great. Um, but then once the ball goes in the air, it's just the same. I mean, aside from, you know, it's a the the pace is a little different, and I have to say the weights with the players when when I'm saying <laughs> the starting lineups. But it is essentially the same. Now there are some differences nowadays where the women play quarters, and the fouls are different. There's no one and ones, so going back and forth sometimes is will be a little bit jarring. But 
it's just a basketball game. And, and once you get flowing through that, there's that initial excitement, but then you just want to do a good job and make sure that um, fans aren't like, oh, Mike's missing the game. Man, I'm not going to listen now. You want people to still say, okay, Mike's not doing the game, but at least I know Corbu is going to give me a good call of the game, and I, it, it'll be maybe a little bit different, but it'll still be good. If somebody wanted to reach out to you, how would they go about doing so? Um, snail mail is best. No. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, via Twitter is best. Corbu status, S-T-A-T-H-E-S, at Corbu status, and uh, direct mail me through there. I, that's probably the best way to get a hold of me because uh, I'm a pr- – I, I don't know. I'm, I'm a pretty private person, so I like to keep my stuff to myself. So uh, the Twitter is the best way. Now, I will always, if people want to reach out and um, want me to listen to something or just want information on that, I always do my best to listen. I, I don't think there's ever been anybody to reach out and want me to listen to something that I haven't gotten back to them with some feedback. might take some time. Uh, having uh, raising a seven and a half year old takes up a lot of time, uh, and having a full time job. And now, as the season comes, but I, I mean, I know it meant a lot to me when um, Jeff Kingery, who's the voice of the Rockies, was the voice of the Rockies, uh, took time to listen to my tape, and we eventually became friends. That's, I mean, very valuable to me. Um, I met with Bob Martin, who was the voice of the Denver Broncos, when I was ten, eleven. That meant a ton to me so I, I i know anybody taking the time to listen and provide you with some feedback mean meant a lot to me so i always try to return the favor does your son show any signs of wanting to get into broadcasting someday um right now i'm just trying to get him to uh like baseball which is an uphill battle no um sometimes sometimes he will do some play-by-play which is pretty cute i in my opinion odd like uh I walked in, he was, football game was on, and I went out of the room to get something. I came back, and he goes, what did he say? Um, and here's the pass, and it's caught, and he's tackled. I was like, all right, that's a good basis to start from. Okay, now, remember, time and distance. <laughs> uh, no, but uh, it, so it's fun to hear him do that a little bit. And uh, just this last, a couple weeks ago, my dad was in town, and we were all sitting watching the Rockies game on uh, MLB Extra Innings. That's not a free plug, although it could be if you want to give it to me for free MLB extra innings. <laughs> um, and so he was laying on the couch with us, my son, and he said, Daddy, can you just give me some play-by-play? I just want to close my eyes. So it, it, he is in tune with it that way, but he's still, I mean, he, he, w- he would probably do play-by-play for a Pokemon card tournament, maybe, <laughs> but uh, not quite into the sports play-by-play yet. What's the weirdest sport you've done play-by-play for um you know i don't think i've done anything outside of the norm um let's see i've done soccer football basketball hockey baseball softball volleyball which i love doing volleyball games is fun um i don't know if i've done anything that weird i've been at some weird moments i think but for the most part, and, and usually they're just weird for me because mm-hmm. I'm a little uncomfortable or there's those times where I'm like, oh, yeah, 
I don't belong here. <laughs> this is <laughs> this is a way outside of my zone. I'm I'm the outsider here. Okay, but uh, yeah, for the most part, it's been pretty mainstream. All right. Once again, we are visiting with Corbu Status, the voice of the Minnesota Gophers women's basketball team, the football uh, pre-post and halftime show host. And Corbu, thanks for coming on today. Logan, always a pleasure. Thanks, man. I enjoy the podcast. Thanks for listening to the Say the Damn Score podcast. Remember to subscribe to the show on the platform of your choice by clicking the big red subscribe button at the top of saythedamnscore.com. Also, please follow me on the social media outlet of your choice. Remember, iTunes reviews, emails, or any other kind of honest feedback is greatly appreciated and help makes the show better. And, you know, it just helps me feel good about what I'm doing. And you know what? That's got to be worth something too, right? So if you like the show, make me feel good about it. Finally, please reach out to the guests of the show so they know you appreciate them sharing their stories on the podcast. As always, I'm Logan Anderson, and the next time you're on the air, make sure to say the damn score just a little bit more.